Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, Certified Enneagram Coach Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. I am extremely excited today. I have one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life on here, and they're probably going to make her be like, oh my goodness, but it really is true. There are some people in your life that see things in you that you don't see in yourselves, and they help to champion and encourage that, because I think part of it is sometimes personally we can play in the minor leagues when we have talent and skills to play in the major leagues and this person has really encouraged me to do that Finding help for your mental and emotional struggles can be challenging. With so many barriers like cost and even feeling safe looking for a counselor can be tricky. So I know it's hard. And you know, the worst part is you really don't have the time or mental space to be trying to figure out how to find a counselor when you're having personal struggles. So thanks to BetterHelp, they are built on making counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so that anyone who's having struggles in their life can actually get the help they need at any time and anywhere, which is so important, especially now. All the professionals are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited. And what I love so much about them is that they have a diverse group of counselors with a broad and various amounts of different backgrounds to help all their different clients. If you need some help, try BetterHelp. You can get a 10% off discount from your first month when you go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash D-O-I-T. And this is Sharon K. Ball, which is one of the most amazing people. And I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. Please introduce yourself. Aw, thank you, Milton. I want to know first, how do you say that so quickly? This is the do it for the gram sentence. I love that. Repetition. 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 Okay. Okay. (laughs) So I'm excited to be here with you. And I'm really excited because I've watched you over the last five years, just go from this point to this point. And I love where you were in your educational space. And I really love where you're at right now. So I'm excited to be here as one of your guests. I am a trauma-trained therapist who has branched out into the organizational environment, bringing what I call trauma language and informed language around trauma into all different spaces, not just in my office sitting in my chair, but in groups, large groups. Uh, And you and I have worked together with some of that and how that affects racial dynamics in the workplace. So that's a little bit about what I do. It sounds kind of broad, but really my lens is through trauma. I see the world through a trauma lens and then through a hopeful lens. Thank you for that, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think one of the most amazing things about your work with Enneagram as well is there are teachers, you know, who are predominantly teachers, but then there are also practitioners. 
And I find that the work that you do is heavily on the practitioner side because you're interweaving the Enneagram with trauma, with psychology, with all these different things. And you're working it not only in your personal practice, but also, like you said, in organizations, mm-hmm. which has taught me a whole bunch. But we're not going to jump into that right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the first question is, how did the Enneagram find you? Wow. So... I do think it finds you and it finds you when you're ready to be met. And for me, it found me in what I would call a surface space, but a much needed space. It would have been about 15 years ago and through Richard Rohr's teachings. And I was involved in a dinner club. And so we had about, I think, four or five couples, singles, and we all learned our types. And so once a month, we'd meet for dinners and we'd talk about our type. And, you know, his video series that was out 15 years ago, I think he came to Nashville. I heard him speak. So I was really interested from a spiritual formation standpoint uh, at that point in my life. But I really didn't do a deep dive into it until I went on, let's see, it would have been five years later. And I went through a significant trauma in my life. And then that's when I began to apply, you know, what I was learning about my type to the stress that I was under, the trauma that I was going through, how to find my way out of it. And from that point on, it just integrated into my my therapy in my office. And then I just thought, gosh, this is, this is wonderful. How can we expand this? So for me, it started, it started, you know, just reading and listening to Richard Rohr and then um, wanting to take that further when I began to experience my own hardship from a different perspective. Yeah. And was it easy to find your type? How did you land on your type? How did that experience happen for you? So this is interesting. This is why I love that you called me a practitioner instead of a teacher. And you know, when we met, you said, where can I, you know, learn more about the Enneagram? And I was like, well, this, I'm not a teacher in that sense. So you need to go to, you know, Peter Hanneran or like Ginger, or I named off other people that you need to really learn from because my type under stress and in trauma vacillated between people around me saying I was a type seven or I was a type nine. So I really didn't land on my type until I started to get beneath the surface of, and really it was in my shame, you know, because of my experience that I was going through, I had significant shame around it, that the context of me being a three resonated. Now, I didn't really like that at first. I will tell you, I think I would much rather be a seven or nine (laughs) than than a three, because when you really look, you know, when I look at getting excited about being goal-oriented and achieving and being successful, it feels kind of like I leave people out. And so that part of it, I didn't like that, but I had to see that. So, and then the lack, you know, of not lack of emotions, but the the wanting to stay away from my feelings. I mean, picture this, Milton, like a therapist who doesn't want to dive deep into her feelings, but working with people with their feelings. I mean, it's a perfect match to keep me away from, right, my mm-hmm. structure. So That's awesome. Because um, I know the experience is, is very different and can be pretty interesting for threes. Yes specifically because of the nature of the ego structure and what it tries to do. So that's interesting. I love it. Like the seven and the nine, you were like, well, maybe. So that's super interesting. You know, I'm not a seven because we work together. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. Oh, oh. I mean, we get along well with our working room, but I'm not a seven. Right. And I love the energy that we have though, because it's a very forward pace moving and like the pace is great. Like we can pace with each other in amazing ways doing the work. Like, I love that. Like, it's like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're tracking. Yes. I love it. And we can flow with whatever's there. I think that's one of the things too, where sevens do the area to improvise and create stuff out of the blue. You know, threes are able to adjust and see what needs to happen in the moment and see like, oh, mm-hmm, yep. And it works so well. I love it. I love it. It's fun. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Even in the midst of like really interesting, juicy topics, you know, deep, rich topics and which is things that we really work with. So I love that. The next question I have is, so we're talking about this. So we do work together and I'm grateful and thankful that you've pulled me in and like really encouraged me and helped me to step into actually getting into the major leagues because, you know, you were like, "Mm, I think there's more there. You know, (laughs) you kept telling me, I was like, is there? You're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. What was it like when you first met me? Because we have an intriguing story of like when we actually first met. So what was it like first meeting me? So my first impression of you was on LinkedIn because you sent me a message and I get a lot of messages on LinkedIn. And, you know, half the time you're not sure, is this person serious? What do they want? You know, and then the other part of the messages are they're wanting to sell you something, right? Their sales ability. Right. Or whatnot. So <laughs> right. yours, yours stuck with me because obviously it had the Enneagram in it and wanting to learn more. And I think you said something of the sorts of, I just want to sit and ask some questions about how you built your business or something like that. And you know, I've said this, I think you've heard me say this phrase, Milton from Memphis, right? Yeah. So in my head, I was like, okay, Milton from Memphis. Okay. This could be interesting. So that requesting to just know about the business and how the Enneagram worked with it was intriguing to me. So I thought it was a really good question. And then the fact that you actually did drive to Nashville and we were able to sit down and talk and get to know each other. And my first impression of you was you know, you're, you're very well put together, you know, just like, I don't think you had a suit on, but you know, you were, but it was nice. It was very nice. Yes. And um, short, short mm-hmm. haircut, which we can get to later, you know, yep. if you want to the difference in the hair, but, and just very genuine. That was for me, it was genuine. And, you know, I'm in the heart center. And so I go by the not necessarily what people say to me, but the energy that I feel. Mm-hmm. And so you're very welcoming, but reserved. And I remember when we, you know, we're talking about type and you're wondering about my type. And I was like, what's your type? You said type seven. I was like, hmm, really? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this man is saying he's a seven. I see, I feel no seven energy coming from mm-hmm. him. And, um, you know, that just kind of led us into more conversation around even how culture, geographical area, all of these layers of who we are can even begin to cover up our type or how you hold back in your type or, but that, you know, when, when people think of seven, the enthusiast, right? When we think of those common traits, you were just very reserved. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Warm but reserved. And it didn't fit for um, the seven, the person that I know now. Right, right. (laughs) Like all of you comes out now and it's so much fun. 
you were holding back from me, right? And that was part of right. our journey of understanding race and the intersection of all of it. So Yes, because for those who are listening, and the audience knows about this because if they listen to this podcast, they know that I've done a series on systemic racism. So they understand that we talk about these things that are happening in our world. And so Sharon is a white woman and I'm a black man. So I'm driving to Nashville and I'm like, does this white woman really know that I'm a black man and everything's okay? So there is, there was a dynamic when we yeah. first met that I wanted to make sure that you didn't feel any type of way threatened by me as being a black man. Cause I, I didn't know you and I was trying to be safe and I just wanted to learn. And so, yeah, I, there definitely was a holding back of a lot of parts of me then also a lot of development that I've done since then too, but sure. holding back. So you're spot on with your analysis of when you like, mm, like you sure you're a seven? Like your energy's not showing me seven. Yeah. So I, I think that was really huge. And I think that's something that we've learned from. Mm-hmm. Like both of us have grown to. And it's something I really appreciated from you. Cause this was all prior to 2020 when the world woke up to like, oh my oh, gosh, yeah. racism yeah. is real on deep levels, yeah. casteism, it's everywhere. It's like, yeah, it is. So this is way before that. And you were already doing the work. That was the thing. You were already doing the work. And to be able to contact me and, and say, hey, there is potential opportunities for you to learn and to grow. And then for you to champion me and then trust me to be able to do it. Like I am eternally grateful. And people don't understand how much a part of my Enneagram journey is due to like, you know, wonderful people like you who've helped me to learn, to grow and to develop more, you know, because I had to reach out. And that's the thing, too, people have to understand, like, you just have to reach out sometimes and learn. I didn't know you at all. I looked on Enneagram and Business. <laughs> I looked on Enneagram and Business website. And I was like, hmm, Nashville is close to Memphis. Let me uh, let me try this real quick, you know, and it has worked out. Yeah. So, so that has been, I don't know, one of the most amazing things, to be honest, that has happened on my journey, like for real. <laughs> so, so that's funny when it I'm trying to think around racial dynamics, because, you know, we were talking about that, about me coming up there as you seen me grow. How have you kind of seen maybe me lean more into not withholding like I used to as much and being more of myself and that energy? So one thing I. I think I had to do, and I've learned this from sitting in my chair. When I say sitting in my chair, it's the therapy chair, right? Listening to people for over 20 years and all different walks of life, all different kinds of trauma, all different races, everything is, I don't, I don't take the lead. I create the space and I sit back and I just hold whatever the person who I meet, I hold it for them. Like I just, I create the space for that. And the one thing I noticed with you, you were so reserved and I knew the dynamics between black man, white woman. And so I needed to be okay with just following your lead. And if the lead was your pace, then it's your pace. So that's one thing that I put in check right away was I could see the potential. I could see, oh, I want to, you know, He's got the potential to be a keynote speaker. He has the potential to do this. He has the potential to do that. Book writing, all of this. You just weren't there yet. So for me to push that, 
and would have been my agenda, correct? Mm -hmm. But it also would have uh, jeopardized your own growth and your own developmental journey. Because there were certain steps you had to take in order to get to where you could write your book right now, to where you could be a podcaster, to where you could write. And so following your lead, I learned that from friends around me, my Black friends and colleagues, that, you know, that it's, I'm not driving this relationship. I am following the relationship. And yet I am responsible for creating a psychologically safe environment. So for you, I was just intentional with that. And I think what I saw in you was the more you felt safe with me, you started to share more, talk more, interact. And then we ended up, you know, in Midland and, you know, that experience for you sitting back and watching Black colleagues engage with me, I think built trust. Mm -hmm. And you were processing internally, though, your own personal... To where we're at right now, where you can co-facilitate and lead, you know, a half day of what I would be doing, but you're doing it instead. So I left the pace up to you. And at any point was open to receive. I challenged myself, you know, if Milton comes to me and he says something, you know, then I need to be open to receiving that, whatever it might be. And I think that's sitting back and letting the other person, you know, pace where they're at in life is hard for people to do, you know, so much of the Mm -hmm. time we want to insert ourselves and push. And, you know, I just knew with you, there were some unresolved stories or unresolved things. And you had to process that while you were processing our relationship and was it safe? (laughs) No, no, you're you're completely correct. And I think um, we've talked about this, you know, 2020, I did some different courses and 2020 was also a crazy year for so many different reasons. But I actually was able to work through some of those traumas, you know what I'm saying? So and racial traumas that I didn't really register. I didn't register as a seven. I was like, I'm good. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm not good. I'm not okay. Oh, no, I have to deal with this. I don't know if you remember this, but this really made an impression on me. We were in Midland and I had just finished doing the training on racial fatigue. And you and Javaro were sitting in the back and we took a break and you came up to me and you were like, I didn't even know that existed. Mm -hmm. Like that just the, not just the phrase, but the whole description of, it put words to what you were experience, you've experienced since a little guy and all the way up. And yes, maybe heard it, but for whatever reason in that context, it really resonated for both of you, uh, along with everybody in the room on a whole. And again, this is before George Floyd's death. This was way. And I, that made that to me, I was like, wow, the fatigue of you know, when we talk about the little cuts or the fatigue of microaggressions, and, and then we get into the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue, the spiritual fatigue, all of that wrapped in one. That to me, I was like, wow, this this is going to be, you know, exciting to see this process with him unfold because there's clarity, you know, each time there's more, some, there's clear, there's a clear message that's being sent and it's resonating with him. I just need to sit back and watch. It blew me away. So I was like, oh, that's that feeling I felt that was so heavy. It has a name to it. Oh, my. (laughs) That's what that is. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. And if you don't know what racial battle fatigue is, Google it. For one, do your research. But also it is the weight that people of color feel from living in an environment that has oppressive systems and structures just about everywhere. 
And so it's it's a somatic, psychological and emotional feeling that is carried. And, you know, if you're not aware of it, you know, it just wears you down and it has lots of negative impacts on you. You want to share more about that? Because I know. Well, I just think I love how you use the word somatic because with trauma and racism is a form of trauma. So when we think of where that lodges in your body, you know, it's, it's a whole body experience. So not just your heart hurts, not just your head feels messed up because somebody's attacking you. It's your body feels it. And then what happens is your body takes a snapshot of, of that whole experience and it lodges some somewhere, you know, it goes somewhere somatically in your body and then begins to affect the nervous system. And so until you resolve that, it's almost as if that snapshot can be felt in the present again. And remember the microaggressions or the, the cuts, they continue. So it's like the past unresolved trauma continues in the present because the body still believes it's still happening on top of it still happening mm-hmm. in the present. And I think that's where the fatigue comes in, where it just, you get weary or you brace yourself for the next impact. And you're not able to fully live. We talk about this from a brain science point, you know, out of the executive function where you can just, you know, take a deep breath. And we know that our people of color, they, it's like double duty. You know, they're doing double duty. Uh, Whenever they walk into their job, they're not only thinking of this, but they're having to do their job at the same time. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's important to know that your body's being attacked as well. Oh, yes. So important. Are you wanting to share the Enneagram better with those you care about? Are you ready to take the personal growth that you have to the next level, like really transform your life? Are you looking to learn the whole Enneagram and not just a small part? Well, then you should sign up for my 12-week program that meets on Thursday nights and explores the Enneagram in community. It's called the Kaizen Career Complete Enneagram Program. And so some of the benefits include you'll be more confident in your Enneagram knowledge. You'll be able to better catch mistypes. You will understand what you need to do in order to grow now. You will develop an Enneagram growth plan for yourself. You have a thorough knowledge of all the components of the Enneagram, enabling you to better share it. And then you'll understand the other types on the Enneagram deeply, not just stereotypes. And one of the best parts is that you'll work in Enneagram groups with people from around the country and maybe even the world. And also, last but not least, somatic exercises to help you embody the different Enneagram types. If you're interested in signing up with one of the cohorts that starts in either January or August, you can sign up at kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co. Once again, that's kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co. Or you can go to the link tree on the IG of the Do It For The Gram Instagram page. And you can also click the link there to learn more and to sign up. I look forward to seeing you. Have a wonderful day. I do have a question, too. So I find this so fascinating, too. And you've talked about this story. We have, I guess. So, like I said, you were doing this work before 2020 happened. And so as a white woman, what made you really dive into and really take your energy and focus and actually want to use your skills gifts from the trauma lens and from the Enneagram lens and working with communities of color and communities of people who need to understand the impact that they have on communities of color. 
How did that come to be within you? Wow. So my parents, I think originally, I grew up in South Tucson, multicultural streets. I actually was bused out of that area to go to school north side of Tucson because where we lived was so rough. And my my dad was the assistant principal for Sunnyside High School in South Tucson, which is a really poor area of South Tucson. And so growing up in that environment, for me, my parents always were teaching humility, humbleness. We're all created equal. My dad is a pastor. And so kindness to everyone. Doesn't matter what you look like, how much money you had. You know, there was no caste system in my family, you know, and I think coming from such a humble upbringing, and I've shared this with you before, you know, my mom used to take me, get my finger pricked so that we could get cheese and meat. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that system, even the WIC system, which is women and children subsidized, you know, food for that helped me because it gave me a, a base of humility, but then also just interacting with all different kinds of people. You know, I would watch my dad, we'd have everybody coming over to the house, fiestas, tamales, you know, all of it was multicultural in, um, in that area. And so that started it, but it wasn't until I got to Nashville, Milton, where I really, it threw me back the coming from Phoenix area. We moved to Phoenix after Tucson and then to the South the blatant racism, right? you know, whether it was in a checkout line or going to lunch with friends, it just was there blatant. And then the, um, subtle, the covert, um, racism, I would pick up on, I was just, this is not right. And so about 15 years ago, um, my good friend Clifton, who's the CEO of the middle Tennessee urban league, we worked together in a homeless shelter. And that I was brought in to do the clinical side, uh, put together a mental health opportunity for everybody at the shelter. And it was families. It was the only family centered um, homeless shelters, which meant the men and women stayed together with their kids versus the men going to another shelter while the women and children stayed. So it's very trying to look at the family from a systemic, like a, a system, like they need to stay together as a family system. Long story short, I brought in interns from local universities and had to teach them how to work in a multicultural setting and that, you know, you can't do therapy. You can't work with trauma until you understand the person's environment, culture, race, where they all come from and their place where they come in their own, you know, story and really that's where I began to see more racism come out was with our homeless population. And I think that, that that not only saddened me, but it also gave me a drive because I saw the hierarchy, the standards were different and the more poor you got and, and the color you were, that intersection of poverty and color and the less, the less you received. And Mm. so I think for, for me, that like really drove my heart to go, something has to change. And it doesn't matter where you're at in life, whether you're low income or you are, you know, at the very top race does play a factor. Right. So from that, I just began to work, you know, in different areas of Nashville and um, in our counseling center, you know, and that's where, that's where I felt like I kind of thought, okay, this is a track. It falls, racism falls into trauma. And it's not just with our 
our black communities, it's our Asian American, all people of color experience um, some level of racism. And so we get, we, we have to do something about it. Yeah. Thank you for that. And something that just popped into my mind, I was thinking about just the importance of this work and its connection with the Enneagram. Because many people have heard, I've many previous episodes, I always say something to the effect of that. If you're only doing inner work and it doesn't permeate its way outwardly into the way you're making your community better, then you're not really doing the work. And so it's just really, I don't know what you're doing, but you're not really doing the work. So can you speak to maybe the importance of overlapping the Enneagram along with doing actual work in communities and work with people? Because I think people sometimes miss that and they just like, ooh, Enneagram, cool. But like being able to use it right inside of the lens of other things and you specifically using trauma and psychology. So can you speak to the importance of using both? Oh, yes. We were teaching the Enneagram in the homeless shelter. So for me, one, it's common language. And when racial dynamics and mental health, nobody wants to talk about Right. 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 It's like taboo. You know, how do you then begin the conversation? And, you know, we've talked about this before. It starts with yourself. Get to know yourself first and then begin to enter into conversations. So when I think of communities being impacted by the Enneagram, what helped us even at the shelter was it gave people common language. Okay, if I am a type three and I know you're a type seven, how can we talk about our stressors? How can we talk about how we you know, communicate differently. It's not as scary, you know, there can be fun language around it. And I think when you go into the harder things of life, you have to balance it with language that is common and then also the fun part of it. Uh, Because remember trauma, and, and I'm putting racism into the category of trauma, but trauma likes to snuff out all type of joy. <laughs> it mm. likes to diminish the spirit of relaxation or, you know, chill, basically, you're on, you're on edge. And so when I look at bringing it into even the office, into therapy, into psychology, again, if if I've got a family of six or seven in the room, and they don't know who they are, and how their type responds, or the, the ways in which they could feel stressed differently than the mother or differently than, you know, the sibling, this is just one, I think the best way to connect people, in my opinion. And let me preface that with my trauma training always precedes my Enneagram training, because with trauma, you know, if you're not trauma informed, you can really jack a person up by going right into Enneagram work. Yes, you can. Right. Unless you've got the base of trauma. So if you're out there and you're wanting to look for somebody who who works with the Enneagram, but you have trauma, look for a trauma trained therapist who does the Enneagram because you need to, you need to resolve the trauma first. You can use that using the Enneagram, but trauma is different than stress. So I see that's how we use it in our communities. Mm -hmm. You know, we use it as common language. We use it as bettering ourselves because when we become in a good place are constantly evolving, you know, developing that's infectious, you know, that, that catches on with others. Yeah. I totally agree with literally everything that you were saying, especially I told Ginger about this, about like working with my family, trying to teach them the Enneagram, you know, trying to help them. And I was like, there are certain things I cannot approach or broach with them because there is trauma and I can see, and I'm like, Oh, I'm not able to go there. Nope. 
I'm going to have to refer yeah. them to someone because that's not like that area. I could tell, I could see, I was like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. I could unpack some things that, you know, someone else who's trained and informed on how to do that could do actually help them without maybe trying to help, but actually creating harm. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. So Ginger was like, should you be working with your family? I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a good question. We'll think about it. Um, so I get questions all day, but one thing I wanted to get to as well, like, so what lately as an Enneagram practitioner, have you been doing, have you been working on, or that's maybe coming out? So my co-author and I, Renee Siegel, have been working on since the pandemic uh, began in what, March of 2019, or was that, was that 2019 or 2020? You know, it feels weird because 2020 feels like a blip year. We don't <laughs> even know. It felt like two years and no year at the same time. So I know it. Ah, anyways, um, we are getting ready to launch our book, Reclaiming You. And it's how the Enneagram, trauma, and resilience all intersect. And it is a fantastic book. Should be out in January. We're just now getting all of our endorsements in. We're so excited about a couple that have come in in the last several weeks. I love this book, Milton, because we actually use stories from inside our office. You know, people that have given us permission, we've, you know, used different names, but we we use our stories in hopes to one, bring people awareness of, of trauma, what it looks like, but we also bring out the different dynamics of people, the different layers to pe- people. So we address the intersection of race and gender. I think we have 13 maybe 12 traumas, anything from natural disasters, people who've been through, you know, the tsunami in Sri Lanka, all the way to our veteran who's suffering PTSD and each of their types and how that intersects with their trauma. How does their type show up in that particular trauma? And then how does their type's resilience actually help get them out of that trauma? So super excited. And, you know, Ginger has been kind of like our quote unquote midwife, helping us kind of first this two-year project. And, you know, the other thing that I love about it is in the midst of Renee and I writing this, the she and I both have gone through stressors um, throughout the t- last two years. And so it's really softened our hearts to write genuinely from the perspective of even how the pandemic has affected people and their mental health, because it's, you know, it's affecting us in real time as well. Very excited about it. Oh, my goodness. No, this book is going to be so amazing. Like I was telling you before, there have been people asking me about the book. Oh, good. Based on Ginger's recommendation that people get it on like two or three episodes earlier. Wow. And so I'm extremely excited about this book. So please make sure if you're listening that you get you a copy because this is that serious work where you're talking about not only the overlap, but the intersection of the way that all these things weave together and how our type and how trauma all works its way through our lives. And so, yes, I love that. I'm excited for it to be out there and to champion the book because it's what we need, especially after this, I don't know what it's been two years, but it feels like five years when the last two years. And so this is definitely what we need to be able to, you know, digest and then work through in our lives. So yes, I'm excited about that. 
Anything else? Any, anything else that you... Yes. So, you know, you and I have projects with, um, I'm going to give a shout out to the Dow Chemical, Dow Inc. now, right? Mm-hmm. They said it was Dow, Dow Inc., the chemical company that, you know, we were down in Louisiana and we had so much fun touring one of their sites and learned Ooh. a lot about chemistry, a lot about what they're doing with making plastics recyclable uh, in a sustainable way. So, you know, Milton, they have been out of the Fortune 500, one of the few companies that has been on the cutting edge of bringing psychological safety into the workplace for people of color. And we've had just a fun ride with them for the last four or five years with that project. But in Nashville with the Urban League, we just launched Equity in Action. And so we've got, oh gosh, I think four companies that have joined this cohort and we'll be with them for 15 months walking a senior leader paired with a protege, uh, black protege together for 15 months. And I'm excited about that because that's really going to, I believe, in the next couple of years, affect the streets of Nashville's businesses, you know, where you know the community at large, Nashville at large, begins to learn um, how racism does a play out in the workplace and how it can even prevent advancing people of color into positions that they rightly could have. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that program. It's a community-based program. So it is, an, you know, the initiative is to get into all areas. The group has an assignment. After they've been through the training, they get to pick one area of Nashville where the group wants to make a difference in. And so I don't know what that might be. You'll have to check back with me in 15 months. But we've got Jackson National. We have Culvert Street. Gap are some of the businesses that are putting people into the program. Super excited about that. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. We'll have to bring it to Memphis. That's what we'll have to do. Is I agree. Memphis. You can run it in Memphis. <laughs> you know that went past my mind. I was like, how could I make this happen in Memphis? Yep. Hmm. Yep. Because it is a systemic problem, you know? So, oh, that makes me excited and happy. And with that, I don't know if people are interested. They can get on our Nine Paths YouTube channel because we interviewed um, someone from housing in Nashville, uh, someone from education, or actually, I think the superintendent of schools for education, a judge, a juvenile judge. We did hour-long interview with the medical you know, healthcare system. I think he he was up at Meharry, but that's such a wealth of knowledge. To, if if you're like, what where do I start with this? You can get to our YouTube channel, Nine Paths, and just sit and listen to her talk about how the housing uh, redlining affected Nashville and how it still affects it. And now we're in a growth mm-hmm. spurt, and it's affecting it even more. And so. We'll be able to, with this program, really get into those systems and pull people in from the community to be our speakers and really emphasize the organizations. Because honestly, I believe it's your churches and your organizations, business, your businesses that have the greatest impact in the community. Yep. So I'm super excited about that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I can keep going. I can keep going on that. I know it's it's so much, but it's just one episode. So obviously I have to have you back on so we can talk more about these things. So what are some ways and some places that people can find you and Nine Paths? So you can go to ninepaths.com, sign up for the newsletter, uh, which will give you information on how to sign up for the book. 
um, Reclaiming You, which, you know, again, um, brings together trauma, the Enneagram and resilience. Uh, that is one great way. You can also, if you're interested in equity and action, you can contact me through the website. And then LinkedIn, if you want to follow, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and any type of our blogs come up on that or any new news that we might, any news that we might have, um, you can, you can follow us there. Awesome. Awesome. Any last words, Sharon? Oh gosh. You know, I get excited about talking about trauma in the Enneagram, all different forms of trauma, because when you begin to really understand and separate, you know, trauma does something to you. And then there's just your whole you. And sometimes trauma, it just covers all of you up. And so, you know, when you can resolve that trauma and find its right place to put it, things become more hopeful. You know, things become the sky is brighter, it's sunnier out, you know, and I, you know, I wish for everyone they could have some sort of trauma therapy or, you know, resolution to the traumas that they carry, because it can feel like you're weighted down. And so, you know, even reading about it is helpful. So yeah, I think just remind yourself there's more to you. And that's why our book is called Reclaiming You. There's just so much more to you than your trauma. And yet your trauma does impact you. And I think also, as I can speak for myself, it has softened me and it has given me better discernment. And I've learned so much as it has resolved. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Working on your trauma, it it does amazing things for you. It it unlocks more of you. And that's a gift to yourself and the world, to be honest. So thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to go check out Nine Paths. It's going to be in the show notes as well. So you can click different links and go there, learn more about it. These things are so important to actually changing ourselves and changing the world around us and our community. So super thankful to have Sharon on here. That's that's all we have for that. So if you're feeling that inside of your body, maybe something's going on that you need to check on, take a deep breath, check in with yourself and with eventually trauma or somatic work and make the smart choice and make a healthier choice and do it for the gram, the Enneagram, of course. And I'll see you on the next episode.